Well, welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Evajamra, and I am your host. It is always exciting to be with you on Thursdays, and we are in an awesome series. If you've been following this uh, podcast for some time, then you know that uh, we are uh, in the throes of talking about Fractured Faith. My new book came out September 7th, where uh, the book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And we've had interviews run every week of people who have endured disappointment, disillusionment, church hurt, you name it. But more importantly, how God has continued to draw them to himself in it. And so today is uh, the same. We're going to have an amazing conversation. I'm going to introduce you to our guest in a minute. Before uh, we do, though, let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast and you can send me any question you have about faith and life and culture at lena at livingwithpower.org. We aim to give you biblical truth for everyday life every day. I hope you're finding that here. Hey, listen, if you're not part of our Thursday evening community, you need to go to Facebook and join our Living With Power community page because I am there live and we are doing a book club right now talking through every chapter of this book I've written that I hope has been a blessing to you. Hey, today is one of my, honestly a great gal. I was going to say one of my favorite people, but I didn't want it to sound so cliche. And I've sort of hummed back and forth about how to title this conversation. Uh, I, 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 I call Connie Koo. She's one of my oldest friends from uh, my old church that I wrote about, but she's in some ways the face of a regular Christian girl, but she's far from regular. In fact, you're going to hear her story in a minute. She's uh, an amazing single woman who uh, came to Christ at a later age. She's going to tell us her story in a minute. And we started off at this church together. We walked sort of parallel lives. And after I left, uh, she and I interacted a few years later. And I have just been intrigued, not just with big names and people, you know, conversations that maybe names of people who are more familiar to us, but how does church hurt affect the average Joe and the regular Jane, people who go to church day in, day out, and who watch the happenings around us? And how does that affect our lives and our faith? Maybe that's you. You're watching and you're in that place in life. And so we welcome you here and we want to minister to you. So uh, let me tell you more about Connie as we get to know her. Connie, it is so good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. So you are a woman of many talents, least of which we were we were catching up. You are a lover of cats. You are a resider of Chicago and you are a computer genius as far as I know. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Generally, what do you do? Demographics sort of before we get into your salvation, you know, sort of how you came to know Christ. Give me a little big background on who Connie Koo is. Sure. Um, I'm in my mid 40s. Um, I actually grew up in Hong Kong, so I came here for college and um and you know i will leave the salvation story later but you know i got saved i went to that's how i met you i went to harvest bible chapel that's how i met lena lena was my second uh small group leader and it was like the first no i don't know if i thought it was your first lynn remember Right. 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 We were in the uh, same small group together and then you split up and then you you have your own small group and then I followed you. Right. We were in downtown Chicago. We were both young and eager and city dwellers and just loved, loved, loved our church. Yeah, we were both young and now we're all old. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't. (laughs) You know what I'm hearing. It's fun. It's fun to think back. This is early, mid 2000s, I think, just to time us a bit. And um, but but you left a a few details that I would like us to go to. You didn't come to any college. You went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Yes, which it's it's a family tradition. My my uncle went there. My sisters, both my my sisters went there. So for me, it wasn't really a an option. That's fascinating, Connie. I don't know if I, I knew the family connection. How did you guys come to Madison from Hong Kong? That's like us moving to Green Bay from Lebanon. 
well, student visa. So, yeah, so if you badger fans right off, boom. right? Well, yes, absolutely. So it's <laughs> like you took your SAT, you know, just like right. how um, college student, you know, U.S. Yeah. college students uh, get into college. Except that we also have to take TOEFL. You know, TOEFL it's like yeah. second language. Um, so we have to take that. We got but, it. But, but Madison is, is distinct because it's not known necessarily for its Christian influence. And you came to college. Really, tell us a bit about your perspective growing up in terms of faith. You were interested in God, the, aware of God. Well, I graduated um, in, uh, we call it primary school. It's really grade school, uh, grade school equivalent in, in the States. Uh, primary school and secondary school um, from a convent school. They call it convent school. Uh, so it's it's a very Catholic U.S. Catholic uh, uh, school. So brought up by nuns, um, it, it was definitely a Catholic. And then I was also part of uh, an organization called Legion of Mary. So mm-hmm. I was definitely religious. Uh, would go to mass every Sunday. So it carried out um, through my young adult life until when my father passed away. Um, I went back to church, went back to, you know, the Catholic church, and I was seeking at that time. That right? was in because college? It, it was actually after college, shortly after college. My father passed um, uh, when I was in my early 20s. Mm. It was a sudden passing, so it was traumatic for a young adult. Mm. Uh, went back to church seeking and tried to understand, like, what's going on, what's really the purpose of life, right? It's like typical... Um, a question that you know people try to answer and I would have to say like you know I didn't feel that I got an answer and I'm not saying that like Catholic Church won't provide you with answers it's just that at that time um, for myself I really needed some fellowship and some personal um, guidance if you will mm. and I couldn't find that in my Catholic Church and interesting enough, um, I met a Christian man who actually went to Harvest. Uh, he, I still remember, he gave me a Bible for Christmas. And I was like, why would you give me a Bible for Christmas? I don't even read this book, right? That's mm-hmm. really not the culture, at least at that time, you know, Catholics, uh, Catholic uh, church um, uh, foster. I'm sure that, you know, uh, some, other, some Catholic churches like foster that like Bible reading kind of habit. But the Catholic Church that I went to, that I grew up in, did not really foster that kind of um, culture, like uh, reading the Bible. Mm. But then um, I started going to HBC uh, with him. And I even read the book called uh, God Wrote a Book from James McDonald. I still remember it was a plane ride from um, LA back to Chicago. So I, uh, I fly, you know, I flew every week for work. And then on that plane ride, I remember that's the time that I accepted God. Wow. That book was such an impact in your life. It was such a great impact in my life because I was like, wow, you know, things that I was, salvation was never really explained to me in, in that way. Um, and I need never really thought of it from, even from a scientific standpoint, there are a lot of statistics. I'm more of a statistics, like scientific kind of person. So I need a little bit of intellectual uh, convincing. Mm. And that book was able to break down the word very clearly and very uh, simply for me. uh, And I understood it. And also my friend, um, the Bible that he gave me, he also gave me 
you know, in the Bible, it came with like a daily bread, a small little pamphlet. And I read that. I read mm-hmm. that. Uh, I remember the title of that book was Why Did Jesus Die? And, you know, I was like pretty private. I was like, of course, I know why Jesus died. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. learned all this in, in Catholic Church. And then when I read that, I was like, holy cow, you know, this is why Jesus died. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I did not understand the gospel message growing up. I now, your had, family was atheist or were they also ca- like Catholic? Catholic. It's well, so my father, uh, my father was Catholic, although my father didn't really go. So I will say it's agnostic. My whole family was agnostic. And in Chinese people Protestant. in general, that's the predominant culture, just to give some cultural context to like you, you weren't, is, is that my understanding? A lot of like disbelieving people in, in China? Uh, there, there was a lot of dis- disbelieving people in China and in Hong Kong, it's a little bit of a weird dynamic in the sense that it's not, at that time, it was not exactly China because it was under British rule. So it had a lot of Western influence. It had a lot of Catholic church. There are a lot of Christian churches around, but then there's a mix of the East and the West as well, right? Like you have Buddhism that's pretty prolific mm. in, in Hong Kong. And Taoism, that's very prolific. Like people go to temples and burn the incenses and what have you. So it, it, it's a it's a very confusing. Um, I guess it's a it's a mix. It's a big melting pot in in Hong Kong because it's truly uh, there are so many options, choices, and conflicts of opinions and philosophy that you know um, that that it's it, it's really confusing sometimes and for, so you, for young you adults. land you've you've cre- you've accepted Jesus you're sort of on that flight and you've already been to harvest so so I mean I am I remember that book by the way it's I mean in all defense of James I mean it is, he was an immensely excellent communicator and that is probably yes. one of my favorite books of his too but yeah. so were you like describe those early days of harvest you were you were I would imagine thrilled to be in this place where this person had impacted your faith so much. So kind of describe your spiritual growth at the time. I think I was growing leap uh, leap and bounds. That's for sure. Um, I remember there was such a strong hunger for the word. Um, I remember going to church was a complete fanfare for me. (laughs) I got excited. Like said, said, Oh, it's Friday night. So which means Saturday at 5 PM, I could like start Mm. driving to church. It's great. Um, And I still remember at that time, because of my job that I travel every week, I didn't, you know, there was no reason for me to uh, to own a car myself. Um, So Thursday night, when I got off the plane, I just went to enterprise and rented a car for the weekend. So I could go to church. So I remember that period of time and then got provided because I got some like coupon code from Avis uh, uh, or Enterprise, oh, Avis, Avis, from Avis that nobody was able to even get to for some reason. It was only for me that I was able to rent a, a car uh, for the entire weekend for 40 bucks. I still remember. Wow. And like, you did that for a while. I did that for a while. Yeah, for a good like year and a half before I even bought my first car. And, so, and, and your job, by the way, you were in computers. Is that right? You traveled for work? I travel. I, I was in uh, IT consulting for the longest time. And later on, I changed into uh, other types of consulting. But yeah, I was definitely in IT consulting. I think in general, I think the idea is you are so bought in. And there was something, I mean, I think even thinking on those early days, because we met fairly early in your tenure at Harvest, and I hadn't been there that long either. But there was something magical about it, wasn't there? Well, I think it's a typical i don't know if it's a typical but um harvest it was a, such a huge production 
So it's almost like going to, I hate to say this, it's almost like going to get entertained and go to like a, like a, you know, TV show of some mm. sort, right? So, and also the workers on the ground, uh, the, uh, the greeters, everybody had some kind of energy with them, right? right. They, were already, uh, they were all very excited about the sermon. They were very excited about, um, you know, James and his teaching. So, so I think it's just infectious, Right. Yeah. And, and so when did you, when did, you know, even looking back now, because what happened a few years later, just to kind of bypass, I think you set the mood, like there was energy, there was special something. People were coming to the Lord. You had come to the Lord through writing. It was for a while, it felt like it was unstoppable. But yet um, I left and, and, and sort of like things after years, after a couple of years after I left, sort of took a downward turn. And, and, and of course, those facts are all public now. And, and I'm intrigued because we hear the story now more commonly. This isn't just something that happened at Harvest. Listening to some of the other podcasts going around of similar situations that happened at other churches throughout the United States, and but 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 it was almost like we were all caught up in the same phase of evangelicalism of mega yeah. church celebrity pastors. When did you feel things started? Like you felt like, man, there's something here. You know, you grew in Christ, and when did you start feeling like there was something amiss, or did you ever feel like? Because you and I had a conversation late after things finally blew up at Harvest. And and the reason I wanted you to come and, and talk about this is it was almost like in some ways you missed it for a while, but then you were like, why didn't anyone tell me? And so can I, you talk about some of that part of, yeah, of I totally missed it. I totally missed it. So um, I, I would have to confess, like before I jumped on to this podcast, I have to Google James McDonald <laughs> and try to remind myself what's the history right. of it. Right. Um, I felt like it was like 5,000 years ago. So I didn't, um, I remember uh, 20, well, I read 2013, they had the excommunication of the um, of the elders. That was actually sign number one that I completely missed it. Mm. Um, 2013 was the time that I, I, if I remember correctly, I just graduated from Moody. I had a failed engagement. Mm. I just moved to a new house. And I just started a new job. So there's a lot of external factors that I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention what happened at church. Yeah. So completely missed it. And then you and I, uh, you and I were not um, really in constant communication at that time. I had right? moved to the Burbs, right? You you moved moved to, yeah, you moved to the Burbs. another campus, right. Right. I still in Chicago. You moved to the Burbs. So we, so if I saw that you, have, you had left and then if I had actually reached out to you it's my bad if I had reached out to you then I would have gotten the warning but I didn't and then the second warning uh was very strong when I, I actually went to the NAS campus and uh there is a couple who has been there even before Niles turned uh HBC Niles mm -hmm. and they left and that was I could not miss that uh, that sign because you know that's one of my you know really good friends, and when they left, I'm like something must be really wrong. So I reached out to them, and I believe that was like around twenty end of 2018. Mm. So I missed that sign big time, and then um, and I asked them. I was like, okay, so I heard some rumors about Julie Royce. What Julie Royce said is that real because i think the first the first reaction that i think anybody 
will have when you heard rumors about your beloved pastor is to dismiss it, right? So right. I thought Julie Royce was just like, you know, is that just a gossip column just to sell papers? Like, what, what is it? And my couple friends said, no, it's, it's real. And that's when I started paying attention and doing a lot of research. And how, then I figure out... How did you goodness. feel when you started adding? You're a scientist. I mean, you, you, you mentioned that when you came to Christ and you sort of need facts. And so in some ways, the facts were all there, but you never even felt a need to look at the facts. What, what made it so... I, I'm so intrigued by the process of, even as I look at my life and sticking through a system longer than in hindsight, I was thinking the only thing I would have done differently would have been to leave sooner. Like, well, how did I miss the science that were in front of my face? And how did the emotion of being at a mega church that was flourishing overlook your need for facts? You didn't look at it. I remember you and I talked and you said you never looked at some of these websites because you just assumed they were lies. But then when you started looking, it was like one plus one equals two. Like, talk about that. How did your emo how does emotions become more important than facts for a person who functions based on facts? That's a very good question. I, I think you just assumed. You just assumed that the pastor who have been telling me the truth along the way, to a certain extent, is infallible. Mm. Right. So yeah. it's really out of the wrong assumption that you should put your faith in this person. And I think that that's really fooled me. I, I, it's very, very difficult for me to say, but, you know, I can tell you this. Once I realized the facts, mm-hmm. I think I was more angry at myself yeah. than anything else. I was like, how could I be so stupid? How could I not even listen to the elephant room because like I remember 20 maybe 2015 2016 there was this huge elephant room conference and then all the fallout of it and I still remember sitting in the kitchen discussing this with my friends and I actually started to see the sign that James might not be what he claimed to be and I remember my friends defending James and I was the one who was like well I'm not quite sure about that Mm-hmm. Um, but I still ignored it because I felt like, okay, number one, I got my spiritual need fed yes, at harvest. Right, right. Uh, number two is too much of a hassle to find a new church. Can right. I even say that? Right. It's like right. I'm it's just going through, going through the motion because for you to uplift yourself and find another church, it's a very drastic, it's a very drastic action. Right. Um, it's not a community. Right. I had my community, my friends all there. So I was like, all of a sudden, I don't, I did not see a need to excommunicate myself. Yeah. Was there ever a time in, in that season, those last couple of years, where you felt like you weren't growing spiritually because of the surrounding leadership structure? Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually, for a very short period of time, I actually went to uh, a park, community church, and I fellowshiped there. Because I felt like Harvest was just, there's something missing. I just could not put my finger on exactly what's missing. So I started venturing out to another church, but I still kind of like kept the HBC life going because I, the idea of leaving HBC was just unfathomable for me. So I kept going to that church, but yet I started fellowship outside. It's almost like I can't get off the fence. I, I just, I can't pick and choose um, a clear path for me. So I chose both. Mm. 
Um, that's so fascinating. And then when you were angry, why was so much anger? And I, I see this, by the way, your, your reactions are, are not unusual in many ways. And I, I just think this is so fascinating. Why were you mad at yourself? Why didn't you direct some of the anger at the leadership? I think that, okay, so I think that at the beginning, there, there, are, few, there are few things that made me really angry like the first thing that jumped right into my head was that um the church decided to convert the camp into canned hunting for a deer that really ticked me off because i love animals and i hated canned hunting it was a barbaric idea and i was like how could you um, who preached about sanctity of life do that to animals like I remember that that was kind of stupid but but I remember that succinctly and um, and I was angry at that I was angry with the fact that well myself like I said like I think um, a big part of it is anger at myself why have I missed all the signs why have I not reached out to to you why have I not reached out to friends who left the church and figure out, you know, um, why they left, right? It's like, what have, I, I think like a very easy that you just live your life um, and you don't choose to think. Mm. Um, you did not choose to stop and and check out on other people and just live a self, <laughs> maybe it was just self-centeredness, right? Like I was thinking, okay, if I, if, I, if I started asking questions, I may uncover answers that I don't even want to hear. So let's just keep going. So I, I was just angry at myself for not really finding out the truth until the truth seems to be so apparent right in my face that I could not ignore it. How was your faith in God during that season? Did it take a hit or was it two separate things? It was actually, the funniest thing is, it actually did not take a hit. It actually made me closer because I remember a friend, um, the same couple friend of mine, he reminded me that, you know, um, be angry, but just don't sin, right? Um, maybe forget about the Twitter, forget about all these news, internet, just take a weekend off and just be in the word and seek God. And that's exactly what I did. And I have never been, well, I won't say that, but, you know, um, but definitely that's one of the seasons that I felt like God has been really, you know, I've been really close to, to the Lord because of, because of that. And also the, my fellowship, my small group was amazing. Uh, my small group leader, some of the girls in the small group, they were really amazing. We hugged, we cried, we screamed, we yelled, we did everything that we could to grieve together because it's a grieving process. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that without the ladies at my small group, without my friend who really shepherded me through this, um, I think I, I, I couldn't even imagine going through this as, you know, as a single lady myself because I could see like families Family struggle, they talk to each other as a family, but I don't have a family to talk about, to talk to, right? Um, to discuss whether I should leave the church or not. It, uh, to a certain extent, it's easier because I could just move. Um, a lot of my friends at Harvest, they stayed put, which just made me scratch my head, like, why? Why even stay put, right? But mm -hmm. then I realized that... You ended that up leaving. I ended up leaving. 
Uh, but then I realized that they have kids and then, you know, at Harvest, they do have like, you know, kids program. If they, if they leave and go to a smaller church, they may not have that kind of benefits. So I understood that because it's just too much for a family, uh, too much to ask for a family. How has so, your new church experience been in terms of having walked through sort of this, I was blindsided. Are you walking in with a different approach to church? Than yeah. Yes, I actually went the other way. So when I was looking for a new church, so my small group and I, we look for churches together. Oh, wow. So that, Incredible. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's really a, a, a sisters from another mother. That, that's what they are. And um, we went to several churches together because all of us decided just to leave, you know. Um, so we went to several churches together. The, the church that I ended up staying is Chicago West. And I remember going in with the mindset that I needed a preacher who is so different from James <laughs> that there is no hint of him um, at all in his preaching. And I will have to say, um, so Pastor John, I don't know if you have ever listened to Pastor John preaching. His preaching is absolutely top-notch, amazing. And you know what I really loved about him is that he is a really humble guy. And when I asked him, I still remember asking him the question before I decided to stay at that church is that if this church becomes big, we were meeting at the high school at that time. Are you, you know, uh, will, will you decide to like purchase a church home? And he said, no, we, we won't. We won't decide to purchase a church home if it becomes big then i will just send out you know split the church and send out and it's a very missionary based church mm -hmm. and that's what i really loved about him because his idea of ministry is not about quantity i know that hbc said that oh it's it's a quality of discipleship but it's not you know quantity but i think that 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 was not true i mean they i feel like that they want the church to be big and and you know have big production and what have you. But um, the fact that when I talked to Pastor John, he said that, no, it's not the the number. If we actually end up being big, then I would just, you know, um, plan another church. I mean, that's really the goal. So that really hooked me. And then his preaching, I don't sense anger coming out from the pulpit. Mm. Versus James, I could sense anger coming out from the pulpit. And sometimes I wonder if those anger are, godly anger or if it's just something in his life that ticked him off and he just like yell at, at the pulpit. I have no idea. Looking uh -huh. back, do you think that um, there was an element of cult in an atmosphere like those? In, and I don't want to really hone the conversation on one right. church, but when you l listen to stories like Rise and Fall of, Mar of Marcel now and the podcast, of course, that Christianity Today yep. has launched and you see these same patterns and personalities how much of it is becomes like a following a cult leader as opposed to the lord in those settings i think a high percentage of it right so it's really james being such a dynamic speaker and he could he could do no wrong and i think that you know because of that because he is such a big man cast a big shadow people who disagree with him tend to go underground you know, and it's not just HBC, like you said, it's it's the, you know, other churches and even in politics, you can see the same thing, too. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not just mm -hmm. in the church setting. So 
I will say that it is really a cultish kind of uh, atmosphere. And even from talking to people who worked in HBC in the in the back office, um, I, you know, I tend to get the impression that that's the case. Hmm. What responsibility do you think people who left had towards you? Was there more that could be done that should have been done in your mind, even looking back? A lot of people who leave, myself included, were taught to not say much, not so much out of fear of I didn't have a non-disclosure, but more out of a uh, not wanting to divide the body. But as a person who stayed to the end, looking back, do you regret that? Do you feel like I should have done more? I don't think so. I actually think that people who left, who did not say a whole bunch, um, did exactly the right thing. I think the responsibility lies with people like myself, um, or at least that's how I saw it, is why didn't I reach out and ask, right? I could easily understand that if you don't like this place, leave, right? And then, but if if you spoke out at that time, likelihood is people would not believe you and thought you were bitter because it was in a cultish remember we're all under the spell so it was like a cultish kind of environment that my pastor do no wrong and if you left it's because probably there's some fallout between you and the pastor i'm not saying you right, 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 right. But, no, um, yeah. so i don't think that it would be believed right until i think god has its timing Right. Like he did even between 2013, the first um, excommunication of, a, of some of the elders to 2019, when uh, he was fired, many good things actually did happen. Right. Mm-hmm. They, you know, again, I, I was just like staring at uh, Wikipedia just to take a mental account of what actually happened. Like there was this vertical church and then, you know, he was a, he had a thriving um, radio ministry, um, HBC, more people got saved. Mm. I mean, it's undeniable that God was blessing this church yeah. and was blessing his ministry. But then 2019, it came to a fairly sudden stop. And I think that it's the ripening of, um, you know, his sins or everything that that transpired. It, it just like came to a, a screeching halt at 2019. So I think that it's all about God's timing. And even if you try to, like the Elephant Room, for example, that website has been up for a long time, but nobody really checked it out, right? So it went back to your original question, like how come there were facts out there and people don't didn't even, you know, um, care to check it out? Well, it's because it's not God's timing yet. Right. I felt like part of it, it's, a big part of it is because of that. It's just well, not it's funny. Really I, I remember talking to a pastor years after I, I left and who was still there and is no longer there now, but but who admitted that even then, and he was in a leadership, very prominent leadership position, he had admitted that he'd never gone to look at the elephant dead site, which surprised me a little bit because, but, but, but it's almost like, that's what I'm talking about with this cult-like blinders. Like It's like this unwillingness to hear that there may be anything um, wrong in a system. How much of this would you describe? I mean, people talk about about this type of background and, and a lot of people who've left churches like Harvest and others talk about being spiritually abused in those settings. Do you see that at all? Or, or how would you d- define spiritual abuse in light of maybe the time, maybe not so much that you've had, but maybe even watching some of your friends who've walked through those paths, maybe even leader friends. I mean, where where is the idea of spiritual abuse in those types of of institutions where 
you know, where there's a fear of speaking out and of asking questions to a certain degree? Well, I think part of the spiritual abuse is there is so much secrecy in the interaction and there is, you know, a very strong or very prominent person who is actually the abuser and somehow everybody sided with him. Mm. Um, so even if the the victim speaks out, nobody is going to believe the victim. So it's not that different from like all the sexual scandal that, that you heard from, you know, uh, in the Hollywood, um, you right. know, what happened to what's I, I hashtag me too and all this stuff right, right all the me too stuff right so it's not that different and i felt like um this time of reckoning is is here and i feel like the the victims now needed to really speak up and you know it will help them heal as well so as this whole thing transpired i actually went to well yourself and then the the couple who left the church and really try to you know they helped me uh kind of break time break down what happened and at the same time i feel like it's mutual ministry because i felt like that they needed an outlet to talk about this openly as well yeah so i hate to say this like whenever there's a church whenever there's a human being who is the pastor there will be spiritual abuse um, I think that's unavoidable. I think the, the only thing that now I've learned throughout this, this experience is to not put too much faith in the pastor, the person himself, but really understand that if there is, if there is any abuse, there will be a time of reckoning. There will be, you know, everything is going to be in God's timing. Even, you know, when you look at what happened at, at HBC, right? This membership has really dwindled. I, I don't know what's the current membership right now, but as I left, many people also left the church. You know, they, and James himself lost his ministry, right? He built up this ministry. So did he get all the punishment that he deserved? I don't know. I'm not God, but I'm sure that, you know, um, when he meets Jesus in person, that probably another, <laughs> you know, there's probably another round. So you, there's uh, something interesting, Connie. I want to go back to So you think the possibility of abuse is present in any church with a pastor? Like you sort of said, it's, in, it's inevitable. Explain that a little bit. You mean because of the position of pastor and the weight it has on people? I think it really depends on if the congregation put the pastor in the pedestal. Mm. It gave the pastor the kind of power right. that is very tempting. Right. Um, I remember James kept on saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. I think that is right. Right. Um, I think part of it, when there's abuse, part of it is we fed the pastor into and grow the pastor into uh, into an abuser. I'm not saying that like right. every pastor is going to be like that. But I feel like that even when you look at like James, right? Like he started up probably an upright young man and somehow along the way, something got corrupted. The fact that we're humans, there is sin in us that, you know, we, we are constantly being tempted. And in the pastorship itself, because you're doing God's work, Satan is go. It's not going to let you go. Right. So I feel like that you are even more vulnerable, you know, if you stand behind the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Do you think people, uh, the average Christian, 
who mm-hmm. has watched now this sort of story happen all throughout the United States in a, very, a variety of ways. I mean, there's besides Mars Hills, we've seen, you know, of course, the pastor of Hillsong who recently had a big demise, a big ministry, Ravi Zacharias' ministry. I mean, these themes have happened in the last two years in an incredible pace. Do you think people are learning or have they become more um, just separated from church? How, what's the fallout on the average Christian goer with all these stories in your estimation? I think people, unfortunately, are very forgetful. You know, I think that even outside of church, right, Americans in general are very forgetful. And um, you have a big news happen today and tomorrow you completely forget about what happened. Interesting, yeah. Um, So, I mean, I, I want to be more optimistic about this, but, you know, the reality of it is... Um, as an average Christian churchgoer, I always, I, I try to, I try to make sure that you know I'm aware of this can happen, but don't make it uh, turn me to be a bitter person. How? But but there has been a fallout in that many people no longer want to go to church. Are you? Do you keep in touch with people who used to be at Harvest who now just man? I just I love Jesus, but nothing with the church. Now I personally haven't seen that, but I can tell I can tell you this: I don't want to be as active in church as mm. before, and I don't know how men how much of it is because of my past experience with with HBC. But I felt like okay, if I'm gonna spend so much energy in church, but the church is going to kind of disappoint me, then what's the point? Right. So I can tell you this: like in my personal um walk um you know in the church life and all that i still enjoy the fellowship but like the idea of volunteering in church is probably something that it will take me an extra nudge to 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 get me take the first step so you know at at harvest remember when you and i uh first met i was very active in church and you know um, and will raise the HBC banner like crazy, but you know, now it's kind of different. And yet, you still feel very close to the Lord, and your spiritual life is not—you see it as a separate thing from the church now. I do see it as a separate thing, and I feel like that it needs to be a separate thing, mm-hmm. um, mostly because of that. I cannot, you know, my barometer of my faith should not be should not be, you know, how often I go to church or, you know, how active that I am right. in the church setting. I feel like that that needs to be separate. Um, maybe I'm not average in that sense. Um, maybe you get a different answer from from other folks, but I really do not want to put my faith in my current pastor. I don't want to put my faith in my current small group, for example, um, I want to do my own thing, but church is something that I do over the weekend, collective worship. That's always a good thing. Mm. Um, but it's not. So you haven't given up on the church, but you're holding it at arm's length. Correct. What Do you think the fruit ever justifies the means? For years, that was sort of the selling point at Harvest. Man, so much good's happening. You even mentioned it a few minutes ago. When does it stop being enough or right? I wish I had the answer for that. I don't. But, you know, I think that if one additional person got saved, mm. from my personal stance, I think it would have it would be worth it. Mm. That's really good. That's a really good reminder. And so many people did give their lives and have given their lives to those yeah. systems that have been yeah. 
shown right. to be corrupt. What, what do you think as we come to, and by the way, I, I appreciate and love your honesty. This is, uh, this is incredible. I feel like you're talking to the heart of so many people who have lived through this, who still love God, who still are going to church. Talk about maybe as we wrap up, where's God in, in all this? Where do you see the movement? Even you've got a master's from Moody. You have sort of your thumb on the pulse of sort of Christianity a bit and, and, and sort of this idea of like what's happening in the United States, even as an outsider from like myself, we're both from other countries. We've had an opportunity to look at different cultures. What's happening in the United States as far as church and Christianity? Where's God in it? So uh, interesting you asked that because I remember few weeks ago, my pastor was just telling us that every year there are more dying church than going church in, um, in America. And uh, when you go to Europe, you looked at all the beautiful cathedrals, but they're all empty. Mm. And he was just warning us that if we do not take a U-turn, America is going to be, become another Europe. You know, it's just like Europe with beautiful church buildings, but with no nobody attending the church. So I think that God is still here. God is probably doing some things, but maybe more so maybe in China, maybe hmm. uh, because I heard the, the, you know, there are a lot of Asian countries are now turning to the Lord. So I think mm-hmm. that the American response is really, you know, reach out and then help those folks to find the Lord as well. But at the same time, though, I think it is individual's responsibility to keep the fire burning. Amen. Um, and I think that there's a lot of breakup of the mega church in the last, like, I guess, 48 months. I wonder if that is similar to what happened 2000 years ago when there was per- persecution in Israel. that like the church scattered and that's how Christianity become a worldwide, you know, religion because now the missionaries all send all over the place. Um, I wonder if, if there wasn't a breaking down of the mega church, the smaller churches will even survive because now a lot of people from the big mega churches, they actually flooded to the smaller churches. Mm. So I wonder if that's, that's also happening as well, but you know, despite all the, all the scandals, all the big churches breaking down, and even the dwindling of the the membership in general, uh, the church membership in general, I think that God is in all of it. Amen. And I know in my head, in my heart, that this did not surprise him at all. So everything is in his timing, and he knew exactly what's going on and what's next. That's such a great way to end. We call this the Hope Podcast because it is about hope. And, and you've really reminded us of like this true character and nature of God. He knows everything. There's not a situation that even you listening right now are going through that God doesn't see and doesn't have a perfect timing in. Connie, man, I, I loved, uh, I've loved this conversation and, and just your insight. You don't disappoint. You uh, are thoughtful and you love the Lord. And I, and I really appreciate that. Uh, any last thoughts before we wrap it up otherwise i'm gonna wrap up the podcast for today but i know you have golf waiting for you i'm still convinced you're gonna leave this interview and hit the link she is an amazing golfer and as an adult you learned this and you just uh, love that so any last words uh, of encouragement to anyone listening i will say just keep faith in god and not in man because i understand that god will never disappoint you amen And he is the great shepherd, and he is always going to take care of his sheep. 
Amen. Well, no better way to end this. Thank you all for listening. As usual, we will be back every Thursday, Thursday nights. Join our Facebook Live community. I am go- we're right now going through my book, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And at the end of every podcast, I give away a free copy of my book. So the first person that uh, emails me, lena at livingwithpower.org, you get a free book. So go ahead and email us and we'd love to send you a hard copy of the book. Hey, uh, we thank you for tuning in as always. If you have any questions about Jesus, about life in Christ, about the church, or if you just need prayer, send me an email, lena at livingwithpower.org. You have a great day and I'll catch you again next week.